episode 27 of the Now Is podcast. My name is Ben Remsen, and the idea of this podcast is to do a recorded version of the concept you might know from Downbeat Magazine's Blindfold Test and The Wire Magazine's Invisible Jukebox, to play tunes for musicians without telling them what they're about to hear and see what they have to say. What follows is the conversation that I had with Matt Pyatt on the afternoon of April 23rd, 2018, in his living room in the Logan Square neighborhood of Chicago. Matt is a Chicago-based improviser, composer, and band leader who plays piano in many groups and ad hoc improvised contexts. You're currently hearing me talk over The Doctor Will See You Now by the Matt Pyatt Trio from the 2016 album Of Sound Mind, available from Amalgam Music. At the end of this interview, you'll hear a quartet improvisation from Matt's 2018 album City in a Garden, just released on Ears and Eyes Records. To find out more about Matt's projects, upcoming performances, and that sort of thing, check out mattpyatmusic.com. You can find the Now Is podcast in the iTunes store, perhaps you already have. You can stream it at nowis.org, N-O-W-I-S.org, where you'll find information about all the tracks that I played from Matt. Feel free to also like the Now Is podcast on Facebook. Okay, Matt Pyatt. Ah, yes. Can you identify it by the clapping? <laughs> yes, the live at, uh, wait. Oh, it's Silent Hunt? Yeah. 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 I mean, this was, this was the first, uh, Cecil Taylor record that I bought. I, uh, I, the first time I saw him was, um, on a, on a DVD, uh, hosted by Chick Corea of, um, clips of, uh, of great jazz pianos. 
and it was uh, one of the great clips from uh, the uh, 81 film Imagine the Sound and uh, with uh, Paul Blaine, Bill Dixon and Archie Shepp and Susan Taylor uh, in conversation and in performance uh, and uh, and it was ca it's captivating. He's in a white room. I'm sure that if you if you uh, do a YouTube search for Cecil Taylor, first up, if we're if we're having this conversation and anyone's listening to this, if anyone's come to this podcast and you haven't listened to Cecil Taylor, you haven't seen this video or a video of Cecil Taylor playing the piano, immediately pause this podcast and do so right now because. Why? 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 Why are you going to listen to anything I've said if you haven't done that? Um, that was the first time I saw anyone playing the piano like that. Right. He's playing this, you know, Imperial Bosendorfer um, in a gray tracksuit. And, um, and this was the, you know, first um, solo piano recording on on iTunes that was easily like the it was like 699 and it was the you know fourth best seller under the name right 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 and uh, and, and 699 what a good deal yeah. I think it still is honestly <laughs> a lot of notes. it's a, well considering it's you know it's it's, it's changed my life over uh, yeah. you, you know a period of now what that was when I was uh, 1920 19 going 20 so I don't know was it, wait, was it, uh, what was the recording? Not the video. Uh, well, the, the first, the first record of his that I had in, on, on iTunes, I, I, I went all the way back to my, my, uh, beginning of my iTunes account in 2004. Uh, and, uh, and I realized that, wow, I bought very few records, at, or at least on iTunes at that time. And now I, I get them in so many different uh, sure. formats. But um, I realized in going back that far that I was listening to Cecil Taylor and, and responding to it before I seriously listened to Bud Powell or anyone told me to listen to Bud Powell. Um, before I seriously listened to Thelonious Monk, before I seriously listened to Duke Ellington as a as a as a pianist, as a pianist, as a pianist about about Monk, he said about about Monk and about Ellington that that they made the song, they made the thing. And whether that's a what does that's, that mean? Well, he, I think what he was trying to imply was that that um, that perhaps Monk both. By by writing these things that, that were that were so compactly brilliant, and well, and and to to do the comparison of, of just copyrighted material, and Ellington, and you know, along with others through publishing, is you know is some is up near a thousand or over a thousand something like that, yeah, and right, right. and uh, and and Monk is under a hundred, and there's no. Cecil Taylor's standard that one might call it a session, and um, I think that people were baffled that there might be any sort of pre-organization to his music, and I think he always responded to that with with, with some vitriol. Um, so, how does this do have to do with making? What is, what is the theory? Of he, I think that he, I think what he admired about um, uh, the. The, the thorough um, 
the, the, the personality and the elegance and the, the uh, um, taking ownership of, of um, one's being a, a, a great uh, maker of, of, of music that is, that is bringing things forward in some way. Um, it's an easy comparison to to be like, oh, Monk's a Monk's a guy who, who people thought were bang was banging on yeah. the on the keyboard and had no Choppy. no style and no 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 sense and everything, yeah. uh, uh, and and then people say something you know right. twenty times worse about sure about Cecil, but of course. but but it's an easy like oh well of course he was influenced by Monk and then people talk about his influence from the Occidental music canon and having had um, classical training and I think he sought that training because he, he, he was uh, incredibly disciplined and he wanted to, he thought that was the way to acquire that. Sure. Yeah. Because, because he had read that Duke Ellington thought that if people were going to advance jazz they should, uh, they should study music formally. Yeah, sure, sure. So he was going off that that advice. I think that I think it immediately, as somebody who understood how the mechanics of the piano worked, uh, couldn't deny the energy that it, and, and the technique that's being displayed, and that uh, even if they're tone clusters, and even, even if they're. Um, Cecil made this point from the beginning of his career to the end, and and, and I, I defend it in the same way, and I defend my own music the same way, where it where the, the, the benefit of free improvisation is that you feel the feeling as you're making the music and 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 so you're um, you're saving yourself the um, the whatever synaptic distance there is between Processing a note as a symbol and then working that into that is this note on this space within these 88 keys and everything. That was his rejection of, of written music because there was more possibility in in, yeah, in yeah. the direct feeling of it. Which track is this, by the way? I mean, is this, is this uh, after this all, is or is part, it Jitney? This is Crossings Part Crossing, One. Okay. I think it's the end of Crossings Part Two into into the next track that's that's on that's on YouTube um, okay. under Mantra. If anyone wants, wants to look at that. Uh, I certainly go back to it. Are you playing air piano? Too? Yeah. Are you, you playing air piano? Too? Yeah. Are you playing air piano? Too? I'm. I've had to. I had to immediately defer to um, the the immediacy of it, and that I respected that, and and was impressed by it, and I had to kind of turn off the idea of processing it as a language, and I suggest this to people who don't who haven't heard it at all. Like to listen to it, like you're in a foreign country and you're in Turkey and people are speaking Turkish and you're, just trying to and you're not really trying to figure out exactly what what they're saying in the conversation and the syntax of it, but you're only focusing on the vowel sounds and other things that, that interest you um, on an aesthetic level that you didn't know that you that you have. Slar Tatum or something? Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, so there are there are certain things about 
being a pianist and um, and having to reconcile um, one's own pianism against tight titans like Artane and Morris Cecil Taylor right. or Oscar Peterson or Keith Jarrett and 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 some others. So, yeah, sure. You know, and what is on that? on sheer uh, mastery of the instrument in their in their manner. Uh, with Tatum, it's a lot of, I mean, uh, I don't know why, the first thing that came to mind was that, wow, he, I mean, he, you know, he was legally blind and, and drank a lot of gin, and it never seemed to dull his, uh, ability to nail those runs spot on. Yeah. <laughs> right. Who wouldn't want to play, play that? Who well, wouldn't yeah. want to do that? Who wouldn't want to do that? Why would anybody possibly play the saxophone differently than that. <laughs> it's fun to do that shit. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, you get gout because you you, you dine on on uh, things that aren't as nutritious because they're so uh, fatty. And, and, uh, you know. Uh, so that's that's where the that's where the loop closes. I think with Tatum. <laughs> with gout. With with gout. Um, no, and then in that it's it's a, it's a wonderful it's a wonderful thing, but it's also I think kind of piano specific. Yeah. And uh, and oh, it's but so not is, so is Cecil. I mean, it's like you can't imagine these pieces. Yeah. Music. You yes. can't really transcribe them for orchestra. But I think also Cecil revolutionized just the the um, the amount of yourself that you could put into improvising, uh, mm-hmm. and I mean just your entire central nervous system and. Yeah. I, just yourself yeah. into it, and 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 I'll keep making this argument that it's why is it so easy for uh, you know a painter to have that disposition, mm-hmm. to have that arrogance, to have whatever, and and for that to be sort of lauded, accepted, and expected. And I mean it, it's it's it's. The, there are some transcriptions available of I I, I, I I can't even I can't think of what this tune's name is even uh-huh. actually is this on explorations yeah that's that's why because that's of all the records now in my at my parents house in my in my uh, childhood bedroom uh, I and I have this in one of my apartments I have from everybody digs Bill Evans to Sunday at the Village Vanguard sequentially and those are seminal records for me as a piano player for anyone playing piano after Bill Evans and uh, and then there's also like when you see them right up against each other uh, or or it's it's like you know this is embarrassing really you're gonna have all these signatures George Shearing and Ahmad Jamal and Miles Davis and and Cannonball Adderley saying how much that he's like why did why he was embarrassed you know why don't you get a quote from my mother while you're at it you know but everybody digs is a record that I listen to and I mean this literally at least twice a day for about six months it was the most important thing that I did when I did do it but I like this the sequence and it's a sad sequence because I think it's it's the best we ever got out of Bill Evans and the sequence goes you know this this guy's the next great pianist um, how can you not love this? To now he's 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 
he's been playing with Miles Davis, he has this remarkable trio with all this freedom and he's advancing the, so much. And you just see him going from portrait and jazz, you know, and then explorations and he's behind a sheet and he's thinner and then Sunday the Village Vanguard and it's black and white and he's just there with a cigarette like just take a fucking picture already my bass player died yeah sure okay and then it's Waltz for Debbie and it's like the remainder of that uh-huh. from that same day okay so so still and and so, yeah so, so, so Scott LaFerro is still alive here and they're making this record yes what, um, uh, what yeah tell me about this just happens to be of those four I this is the one that I've listened to the least and, okay. and there's well, no real, you, I've been listening to it more recently though that gives you an opportunity to say something smart about it what's right the, now. the title again sorry uh, Sweet and Loving Sweet and Loving yeah okay. I don't know why I don't play this tune as it a standard it yeah. doesn't matter uh, what I hear is um, how it, it doesn't seem to matter what we say about Bill Evans and his approach. We certainly talk about his his uh, interactive approach to the trio, and it certainly opened up and changed the way that we have to approach playing as a as a if that's leader and a piano. Trio. Remedial? Can you describe what you mean by what you just said? Um, so Bill Evans trio. It, in, in in this in this trio, Paul Motion playing drums is is the one who concedes the most to just being congenial. I think not that he's not interactive, but he's he's certainly not pushing too much. The the biggest advance that was made was that Scott Lafaro played the bass in a way that 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 explored more of a more territory um, as a soloist. More territory as um, a contrapuntal um, uh, companion, and with his with, with the pianist who's leading the group. Um, Bill Evans developed his his style um, and sort of stuck to it, but harmonically it's very advanced. People can get hung up talking about the harmonic advancements and forget about how rhythmically advanced it is. Um, because there's that too, and it's it's I think interesting to know, not noted often enough, that that Bill Evans himself said that his primary influences by the time that he matured were Bud Powell and Lenny Trusano. So there's the sort of the the linear uh, strength that Trusano had in terms of of, of uh, really of going on for a, for a longer period of time and. Few other pianists were doing that, right. and that's a, and it's a very sort of white guy intellectual thing to have done. And Bill Evans has his, his own harmonic concept that's not related to Tristano's harmonic concept, uh, but the way that he constructed lines, and then having a bass player who was going to also play and interact with lines with him whether it's even during Scott Lafar's solos. It's very informative to, to look at what's available uh, as transcriptions of the whole trio, especially during something like a Scott Lafar solo and seeing where, where Bill comes and what, and just, you know, uh, seeing that, okay, there's, it's, it's these anticipations, it's these, which, is, which is bebop language, and everyone had to measure up to that by the time Bill Evans um, asserted himself as a major figure on the scene. Yeah, what I don't like is uh, is like the, the, the quick 
biography uh, notes uh, relation to, to Bill Evans. Uh, Study of classical music and his, his love of, of composers like Ravel or Scriabin and and all that, without diving into what he may have taken from that. It's like, well, can you say that and not listen to Scriabin and maybe see if that's a valid? Right. You know, and then Brad Meldow, as a as another sensitive white guy pianist, yeah. had to rail against constantly being compared to Bill Evans because. He played standards because he played in a trio format, and because he had heroin addiction, because he had, uh, um, because uh, he changed his legal name to Bill Evans. He, yeah, it was it was a it was a, it was a bad move. It, it was a bad move. It, well, it was a it was a union thing. There was already he was named Bill Evans. It was like, oh man, no, there shouldn't. I mean, like the saxophone is Bill Evans should just have said, listen, I'm gonna go by Billy. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, just right. add another. Ah, yes. So, the other, um... You want to identify this for the listening audience? Yeah, so this is what? This is Floater? Yeah. Uh, from, uh, Footloose by Paul Blay. In the case of Paul Blay Cecil slash Cecil Taylor, you have the only pianist, I think, that the only white pianist contemporaneous with Cecil and and who lived, who contributed yeah. throughout his life, stuck to his guns, uh, could play with anybody, um, thoroughly digested a lot of language before he made his first great statement as a leader, which is this record, where the where it's on a terrible piano, you know. Okay, but he's the only guy. But he's the only guy. He's he's the analog. Uh, to Cecil in being a, a lyrical player, someone who really could play free, and did, and somebody who was, uh, if if not also not, you know, generally listened to by even a ja the jazz layman yeah. quite frequently, sure. and certainly not his 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 wide discography. Um, yeah. I should have bought it at the jazz record five years ago. There was a discography of Paulman. Okay, okay. But his his role as the progenitor of several like moments and movements, it from bringing Charlie Parker to Canada to taking Oscar Peterson's place to playing bebop as well as he as he did doing a record with Art Blakey and and, uh, and Charles Mingus to then to, to then uh, just. Being an iconoclast, uh, bringing Ornette Coleman's group together, bringing uh, uh, being one, of, being someone to marry Carla Blay, play all of her tunes, Marionette Peacock, play all of her tunes, de deal with just those things alone for his whole career, and make a lot out of it. His his thing was not to be as disciplined as, as Cecil was, but to be um, just as involved in the the moment. The the nineteen sixty one recordings with the Jimmy Jeffrey uh, three are uh, not even not freefall as much. Freefall is more audacious, right. but I think that the fusion and thesis are just right. you know I mean it it's 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 the uh, it's the go ahead for Manfred Eicher's. Uh, uh, aesthetic to to have a place 
right. in recorded music. Right. Sensitive white guy free jazz. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Last night. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, well, so then returning back to this, I do. You, yeah. I'm curious again if any particular thing yeah. that you're hearing in this that you'd like to point out that as a player that you notice. Or... I the like when I when I say the elasticity of of time, it's that's very important because that that leads into. The history through the history of pianos, it leads into Keith Jarrett, um, and Keith Jarrett's a more accessible pianist because he was less stodgy, is more romantic, and uh, has a different way of tapping into his genius and his pianism than Paul Blake did. Um, but Jarrett was able to start off where Paul Blake had already in territory that Paul Blake had already. Uh, covered, more or less. Um, he had that advantage. That's, that's again why I keep bringing up Cecil, because it's like, I have an advantage, no matter what, in playing free music, because somebody who had to uh, work for recognition and, and, and stuck to it their entire life did, in fact, do so, you know? Which is why you have it so easy, just breaking the big bucks. Right, exactly. Paul Blake for a long time was 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 somebody tapped into the kind of language that Ornette was dealing with, um, and as a piano player, that's quite exceptional. To have the to be able to accept and react to the kind of freedom and elasticity that was also swinging, that was also tuneful, that was that was the what uh, Ornette was doing with the first quartet, and. And why it's easier for a lot of people to uh, give credit to Ornette or come around to him because, you know, he has certain things that sound like the jazz lineage uh, and, and sound like Bird or that, the, that his, his compositions are so damn catchy and tuneful. And so are Carla, Carla Blaze. So what, what Paul Blaze did, I think, is, is use the same sort of freedom that Ornette was applying to his shorter tunes and then that would then move into improvisations. Monk, Miles, Coltrane are the places where I think the like the fans of improvised music, jazz music, whatever, can 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 look at sort of the at the at the artist as as a fucking artist. Uh, maybe Monk the most of all, because you don't want to imitate him directly, because that's foolish. But he, his, his delivery to the uh, jazz uh, canon through his compositions is, is so significant and so approachable that you know everybody, every pianist comes around to doing a, a Monk tribute album, and. It's it's uh, it's delightful and it's um, uh, it, it's just singularly that man's music. Yeah, I was actually really curious to put this. I was trying to decide which monk tune. There's obviously a million options, and there were a couple reasons I ended up picking this one. Or or I was attracted. I don't even. I, I, I forget so many of the names. It's, it's from the album Folios uh, in Action. Too. It's called Light Blue. Okay, not I, this not is, I probably haven't even I, if I I probably have not even heard this sure. this recording. That's perfect. Is this with Charlie Rousey? Uh, no, it's Johnny Griffin. Johnny, oh, good. Okay, yeah, because that's one of the things I like is like Johnny Griffin 
first talk, but certainly since we're in Chicago yeah. and we're talking about Johnny Griffin. Sure, no, so tell me what Kevin. you like about Johnny. Wait, not I love general, that he. Not yeah, I love I love that he had a stint playing with Monk, and that it's represented at all. Yeah. And I love that Johnny Griffin is is somebody who was who is one of many people who exemplifies what's great about being like. Not a bebop innovator, but a bebop player in the center of the 50s and do it really, really well. And what a joy it is to, to play really fast. There's a moment in Straight No Chaser where he's on tour with Monk and he's, he's taking back some like shots of Jack Daniels. And just, there's, there's just something really, really likable about uh, Johnny Griffin. And again, this is, this is related to sort of something like, let's say, any jazz festival and in, in America especially, and one of the one of the acts is doing a, a monk tribute. I think that that's that's the that's a jazz equivalent of of a sort of moderate area where everybody's going, no one's going to dismiss its importance, and the people who understand its importance and understand its its. Uh, its individuality and its uh, innovation are also digging it for that, and no one's begrudging the other person for their love of one thing over another. Their love of tradition over furthering the music, or their love of furthering the music over, over being traditional. So because Monk was someone at those cutting contests playing stride piano against other, you know, really great stride pianists, and then you know, was the house player at Minton's and that he then had Monk's music. What's different is that, you know, any like bird bebop tune is a is related to to scales as opposed to intervallic skips that are that are odd and that maybe are related to the chord changes, are related to the the small thematic development the motivic developments that then become part of a really elegant small piece and that's why it's that's why it's a pleasure to work on those tunes because even if it's Friday the 13th and you're playing whatever it is it's just it's that they're um, they're just tight as hell almost yeah. almost all of them are okay so boy but angular so angular uh, yeah just that it's uh, Whatever that is, yeah. you know, yeah. that's a lot different than that's you know that's standard bebop taking off coming off of the swing era. But there's there's the it's I mean if you hear where the bass player is and that the drummer's keeping time and that Mom's not imposing anything on them. I'd like to point out for the listening audience that Matt is conducting with his hand. Yeah. You can tap on something. You can but it's there. The beat is there every time. And Monk is consistently... Um, it's just... He's he's swinging like mad, but he's doing it in his, his own particular way. Yeah. But all of the... But those things, too. It's like... It's where our Tatum is like, oh, he's doing those Tatumisms, but but Monk doing his Monkisms, it's delightful every time uh, in, a, in a way that... I, it's just so much more satisfying. It doesn't give you gout. 
It's, uh, you know, it's, it's a B12 shot. Right. Uh, right. Because it doesn't give you gout, because he's not playing too much. He's not giving you too much. Like, Tatum is too much whipped cream on top or something like that. Well, it's... Tatum is indulging his own uh, virtuosity at the, at the keyboard. Monk is indulging the joy that is digging into the piano and swinging like crazy, uh, because that's what you do. I mean, there's just that. That's the thing, and that's why that's why that's that weird bridge area because we're able to we're able to look at Mingus or Monk or Miles or Train as as like, yeah, they they did exactly, you know, what they wanted to do, and and see that as as as, uh, but like only the only some of those guys, not all of them, other people who were were you know did too many. Things or were just really great sidemen or whatever. They don't. They don't get that same sort of badass treatment, uh, and they just aren't. On, they're not the on Mount Rushmore of of, uh, of jazz. Yeah. Well, is, is it is it it's a piano players recording though? Yeah. But who's the saxophonist? Uh, okay. That's why I had trouble placing it because he, he's just sort of. He he's he sits astride some some really nice areas of, of jazz and free jazz. Yeah, sure. uh, in a way that's just great. His his tone his tone is similar to some other saxophones that that throws me, but it's just so, it's so delightful. Yeah. So tell me what what's the uh, what are you doing here? What's delighting you? That. That's where the that's where the fire is. I I mean I the the pianist is supporting everything that's going on there by stabbing and and, and giving something that's not standard combat procedure, but that's that's matching the energy but not overstepping his mouth. Uh, but I'm hearing the saxophone. Yeah, for sure. Sure, it's that sonority is just, it's just so compelling. Sure. So tell me about being a I hear Dave. I hear Dave Remnitz. I hear other. You know, it's like there's just there's just something about anybody who who uh, who's absorbed. I think the the jazz language, but also plays in a sort in a free manner. That um, yeah, Sam Rivers is certainly one of those people. Yeah, Remnitz is one of those people. Uh, Dick yeah. is one of those people. Yeah, yeah Dick. Dick. I mean, yeah. So seeing you playing last night, where there were some parts where. Nick Mazzarella is like taking the lead in a certain sense, or it feels like that from an audience. Yeah. He's just doing fast, you know, kind of Jimmy Lyon stuff he and I were talking about last night. And then it's, well, here at the piano is down for the front here a little more, but it's interesting. I mean, is it Andrew Hill or somebody? Yeah, it's Andrew Hill. Yeah. yeah. Um, my, uh, my, my main thing with a lot of the Andrew Hill recordings, Blue Note recordings from yeah. the 60s, is just the, is the way that they're recorded. I think that his, his sound suffers more than a lot of other pianists and other or sidemen and other other projects because of the way that that piano was set up at Revamp Builder's studio and it's it works for the boxiness that it it uh, that it has when you're comping and when but it also makes the pianist really hard to identify when they're like hard bop recordings or even when they're somebody like 
like Andrew Hill, where, I, where it's like, I always like what he's doing, but I don't go out of my way to re-listen to him all that much because so many of the really vital recordings are those Blue Note recordings, and I can't get into the way the piano sounds, the way the piano sounds, the way the piano sounds. Where I'm like, yeah, where I'm like, yeah, that's an area of energy that I try to bring to the table if I can. As an accompanying musician or as a soloist, I relate to it uh, just... Inherently, what because you, I did What are you related to? Uh, I relate to um, it breaking out of a hard bop tradition and into sort of uh, what you do with uh, knowing how to come, but then using that to form maybe darker clusters. Like Andrew Hill has a very dark sound to his. All of those. They're all they're all dense, they're dark, but but, but they're also they're got a lot of that choppiness too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I, I but I boil everything with monk down to despite all that, that angular stuff or the or the, the choppiness to a real understanding deeply but a but a uh, um, an attitude towards how he was gonna comp and how he was gonna swing. And that's so consistent. With, with Monk in a way that like just teaches you how unhidden bad you are in a not good way as a piano player. I mean, it's just, you know, as yeah, as a jazz artist, as a piano player, just something like I'm sorry to be talking about Monk over Andrew Hill, but like the thing that's 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 stunning with with Monk stuff is is something that like the Town Hall concert where where the transcribed solo of Little Rudy Tootie is being played Tootie uh, by the whole band and they asked the audience who loved everything if they could do it again because it was just so damn hard for everyone to do that together because <laughs> it's fine at the beginning but once it goes to you know yeah. those things uh, those things to me are, are, are both like totally like Monk owns them but they're but they're coming from the, the, uh, that's why I love hearing Monk, Monk solo too, is that like, hearing him sort of do that, that uh, slow drag, like slow, uh, um, stride E thing, shows you how tapped into to his, his sense of swing he is. What's going on by the time you get to someone with Andrew, uh, like Andrew Hill, is that, that, um, that energy is 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 being able. To, you're able to bring that energy to the to the fore by um, by not being bound to a sort of metric, trick, 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 pattern of of, of comping. Um, it's going to be different every time, but it's going to be related very much to energy. Right. That's why I said Chris Davis or. Um, I'm gonna tell you eventually if you're interested. Tell me. About yeah, it. I'm delighting in the in the fact that I that this is this is someone who's alive right now and uh, and the music sounds like like something that I that I dig. <laughs> and it could be and it could be Craig Taymor. It could be uh, it, it it could well, be so any. Tell me what you dig about it. <laughs> what I dig about it is that there's a there's a consistency to the the, the attack and the decision the 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 control of those clusters. That's uh, um, that's asserting its own 
way of improvising, but that's that's not divorced from listening to what the horn player is doing or what the drummer's doing. Uh, and uh, so having those those having a trio playing with this instrumentation is very appealing to me. Obviously, I have, I have two of them that I try to play with as much as possible. Uh, I, I enjoy that because there's not the encumbrance of, of, of a bass player, even though a bass player is I mean, To the extent that I was thinking I had a narrative here, this is like moving away from energy playing or something, and though it is, it's got a lot of energy, that it's thinking of it as textural playing, and thinking about yeah. how the piano yeah. doesn't obviously lend itself to textural playing the way that an instrument that you can just sort of smear around does. It's um, a whole different thing. It's an up and down. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it's it's the whole nature of the piano that that that, that changes everything. Yes. The argument that I always make is that 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 uh, as a pianist, you're you're more divorced than most instruments it, it, that uh, from the actual thing that's generating the uh, the vibrations and the, gen the genesis sure. of the sound. Right. And the fact that it's this bizarre lever system. Um, and that it's as black and white as it is, and that it's uh, a percussion instrument, but it's a string instrument. It's just is is very unique, and so yeah, those those things, those, those questions present themselves all of the time. So what's nice about knowing that 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 you're going to be listening to a longer free improvisation these days or in, in any time. Uh, is that that freedom is then there to yeah to, to be to be to explore that space and not be beholden to um, that, that that it can't shift on a dime and and uh, redeem itself. So I think signing up for for me certainly and any 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 of us who listen to, to improvise recordings certainly of live recordings of concerts that are over 20 minutes long, right? you know, that's that's a certain amount of discipline that, 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 that goes into saying that I'm going to give myself, and that's where the temporality thing is is so key to me, because that's the, that's the liberating thing, is that it's like, I know that someone's going to cut me off at 45 minutes, I know that it doesn't need to go to 45 minutes, and that's about all I've really discussed with the people I'm going to play, with whom I'm going to play. And and that that's a really beautiful thing to be able to, to, to do as as a musician. Um, I you can give up is, it, is it is it is it is it somebody from Europe that that uh, I mean somebody you're into? It's three people you're into. Schlippenbach. Is it okay? They're they're hard to um. All of us. I mean, I, I should know, and yet, which one is it? I mean, it could be, uh, there's uh, so many. Bauhaus just out. Okay, it's a good one. Um, they're all good, and the... No, this is exactly the kind of... I did not know of, of, about this trio, I did not know about Alexander and Slippenbach until Mike Reed... Until we, we played, we opened for Mike Reed's People Plays and Things at the Hungry Brain, and he said of Four Letter Words, you know, oh, you got that Slippenbach thing. Superbox here thing going on instrumentation-wise, and I was like, the "What now?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, and I had to, and I had to make note of it, and and was immediately like, "Oh, this is 
this is glorious that they've had this relationship over all these years. And uh, I enjoy everything I've ever heard Alexander von Zuckerberg play. We can do that. We yes. do do that. We have done that. And right. we are now, it's the 80s or something, and yeah. we're gonna, we were really interested yeah. in, in the canon. Or, well, in our version of it. Yeah. Because this is, um, I don't know if you want to guess. <laughs> what, the, what the recording is? Yeah, well, this is Herbie Nichols, so it's them, it's them yeah. saying, okay, we want to do, we don't need to just be, you know, hippie free jazz freaks. We can also, we're really interested in this stuff, yes, too. Yes, I think so. Yeah. But, um, but also, rather than doing Yeah, yeah, it's it, it that's been consistent, and I think that there's um, I don't know that's something that I got from uh, seeing from one one of the first from the first day moving into the city for a brief period and seeing Josh Berman and his gang and it being tied to it's it, it being Josh's uh, expression of oh I really liked this early music thing early jazz music thing. But I'm also in this scene, and it works very well for him right. with with uh, the Instant Composers pool or with things like this, projects like this, um, and with Misha's playing. The postmodern aspect is is that you know here's someone who loved, uh, who uh, was was a very intelligent composer, pianist, musician, but loved Ellington and Monk genuinely. Has some of that in their playing. But his approach to any sort of formal playing, any tune playing, is always going to include this weirdness that he's already said, this is kosher, this is who I am, this is how I'm going to do it. Can you define the weirdness? And where is it here? The weirdness is the kind of thing that people will just just blandly label Thelonious Monk's music without seeing the, the, the brilliance and the structure behind all of it. With Misha, it's an awareness of how brilliant Monk is as as an appreciator of music, and having a, a, a style that's that's a, an approach to the piano that's sometimes similar to it. With that, um, in that it's um, it's not it's not limited to being bebop language. It's not limited to being Monk's language, but it's an appreciation for that angularity that I was talking about. It's an appreciation for the. Um, the space that that happens physically when when someone's playing the, the piano and maybe when when Monk is, is is hitting these clusters and when Cecil's hitting these clusters, you're splitting the hand in ways that is that is logical theoretically and it's related to the jazz tradition, but it's a little it's just crunchy enough that it's going to sound like somebody who's being slightly subversive or slightly winking in Misha's case. The sense of humor that he has is is evident in a lot of the, the music, I think. Yes. This uh this this is um this is a pianist who, who changed uh my life and who maybe is exemplary for me at this time now he's become popular as a great Um but his um his everything, his whole his whole approach to his, his music making and his uh, uh, his lack of of affect, his lack of uh, ego about it, and his willingness to be game and to to, to what is play. lack what is lack of affect mean in a case like this? Um, 
he's not. Not playing. He's not. No, no, he's not. He's not playing. I don't know. I. He's not playing mod, modern. I'm using scare quotes here. He's not playing modern jazz because that's what he's supposed to do. He's playing the way that that he's playing some of his influences and he's playing his. Uh, he he's doing he he's he's taking over where the the kind of attitude that Cecil Taylor demonstrated to us in being um, in being genuine with making his his music and being adaptable to many a situation. And approaching the piano in ways that, that baffles you as a pianist because you're like, wait a minute, I don't have access to that material. How do you have access to that material? It's, you know, some shaman comes to you and they're just like, I had this, I had this elixir and it's it's all good. Let's talk about something else. I'm a really nice guy. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa wait a minute, you know? How does that come without enormous uh, uh, ego and responsibility and how are you not like, totally, how is that not weighing on you? He just, um, the first time I ever went to Constellation, the first time I had any, any, uh, interaction with this scene was, was when, uh, when this record, wait a minute, this is, this, is this, uh, which, what track is this? the name of this track? I uh, Bodies Week came out. Bodies Week came out. Um, yeah, so this, so this was the first record because I bought, because, because I found out about him, I saw him playing solo at the Bim House, video playing solo at Bim House. And I it reacted to it the same way that I reacted to that Cecil Taylor video. It's about the same length of time, and it was about the same. It did the same number on me of just like, you can play the piano like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What what aspect of this? Well, this is this is him doing what's kind of popular these days, but is uh, but he does it in this trio. He he, he does it very well and, and keeps it up, keeps it going. Because the bootlegs of this same tune are 26 minute long. Okay. So what is, what is this? So he's doing the, this ostinato thing with the left hand that goes with the, with the bass player initially with the, with the head and he keeps it going back and forth throughout his playing. His charts are simpler than you'd, than you'd think it, for, for the complexity they seem to, to have. He has this sort of X factor of... It, it's the kind of thing that's baffling about our Tatum where it's like, how is someone doing that with only two hands? But in a in a in a free music area where it's like, wait a minute, uh, I know that that I've I've listened to Paul Blay and his concept of wine, or I've listened to Cecil Taylor and his concept of space and concept of of uh, cluster and registers of the of the piano. I, and I've listened to everything that Keith Keith Jarrett has contributed, but. Then with Craig Tabor, it's like there's this natural soulfulness to it. There's this natural uh, interaction with the with all those things with the t attack and decay of the piano, which Avenging Angel is a, is one of the best ECM solo piano records. But it's simply one of the best examples of that kind of um, kind of recording of of someone going into the studio and, and playing that kind of stuff. Yeah, and he does this all the time. And the kind of hookup he has with Gerald Cleaver is 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 insane. Um, the kind of hookup he has with with people on most of the records that he's on is is pretty insane. Well recorded piano sounds nice. Yeah, tell me about this, it. This this is someone who obviously has command over the instrument and is not. Um, 
not afraid to be contrapuntal in, in a way that's not relegated to a system of counterpoint. Uh, I don't. How can you hear that? Uh, I'm not sure. It seems to me like it's like it's it's free it's free counterpoint. It is counterpuntal, so much as there's there's linear there are two linear things going on right now, and uh, they're relate or I mean I imagine there's some exchange between the two hands. Uh, there's one motif followed by another motif that's transposed slightly, so it's so it's using it's. It's using obvious references to what just preceded it, but I don't think that that's anything that's composed through compo You want to go back to that happening? <laughs> that that happens. Uh, that's that's a sign, I think, of someone having control over being an, an improviser. Certainly, as a as a pianist and dealing with that, you have you have all this kind of density. You could be, you know, you you, you could be thick all of the time. You could be counterpuntal all the time. You could be counterpuntal and playing a tune, never, or playing a tune sometimes, or kind of playing a tune. And all those things are possible. All those things are fun. I'm not telling you who it is. Just tell me who it is. It's Chris, Chris Davis. It's Chris Davis. Okay. Yeah, I was gonna. I was gonna humorously say, "Is it Chris Davis?" Yeah. Uh, when 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 it started, because I'm like, there's no way that it that it. Uh, I'm not ruling out that it couldn't be. Why, yeah. Yeah. Why would you say? Um, because she's she like Craig has just a command a command of the instrument and a uh, a fearlessness to really improvise at the piano to deal with um, thematic material or harmonic material whatever material generates itself as it generates itself. Um, she has a certain amount of of. Um, of a bent to be uh, ambidextrous or try or, or, or to be um, it's a, like you were saying with with Schlippenbach trio being a sort of slower and slower process to the energy music I think that like Craig's solo piano concept Chris's solo piano concept but also their their, their way of playing with other people uh, has a sort of a similar ethos to it that that fits today and should and people should be having this this sort of ethos. It's um it's not fully a, a, a you know a, it's not an everything but the kitchen sink uh, approach. It's informed by a lot of um, understanding about how the instrument works and how there's some logic to what you're gonna play. But it's also informed by I think this. By spontaneity of the moment and and fearlessness to be to be spon spontaneous in the moment, which you can't generate this kind of this level of playing without being that way. Yeah. And I only reached it recently myself. Um, that moment right there, where all of a sudden it's like that just kind of had almost like a little this like solo monk swing element to it. It's not ever going to be entirely divorced yeah. from it, yeah. um, but it doesn't need to reference it ever in an entire record. They could, they could make seven solo piano records that didn't reference anything that I thought was jazzy in, in, in material, and I'd be satisfied. <laughs> well, and sorry, ironically, this is uh, this is or is supposedly all the things you. Yeah, heard. yeah. 
Is it wait? So is is it a so, is it a solo re- solo are... record of hers? It's a solo record, yeah. Um, no, that's why that's why all the, that's where this approach okay, I guess exists now. now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, there's the there's the what is it? The England Rock Lobark record with Tom Rainey and and uh, uh, and Chris Davis and where they, where they play all standards, but and so so yeah. time does. You know the form happens, but it's it's deconstructing it to a certain yeah. degree. Um, there's the, the thing about this progression is that we all we all use it, and it yields so much. I mean, I I I will warm up with as many courses of all the things you are as I feel are necessary for me to get all the bop language out of my system to get all of the line. The ability to play lines out of my system, to be to, to play fleetingly, mm-hmm. to uh, figure out how the how the the like the density with which I, I I can play on that particular piano that day. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a so I mean, well, I mean, now we're really now we're really dealing with uh, with some with some contrapuntal stuff that. Everything's everything's relating a lot more to itself in a in a, in a way that's everything's relating more to itself. Yeah, it's all it's like it's like if you were to take if you were to take two two if you were to tell a story and tell it twice and then oh overlay those two things and somehow um, you found that like yeah generally that story I tell it most of the same way and it takes about three minutes for me to tell it or that joke. Um, and, and, but then you just, but then you just took both of those audio tracks and layered them on top of each other. There's something going on with that musically where it's like the counterpoint is really quickly happening. It's not this, this bit of a a motif and then this motif down here in the, in the bass register is going to do it. It's close, the, the hands are closer together and the... The um, the constant control of how dense that interaction is is going to be is being monitored very intelligently, moment to moment. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. Very to a, to a point that if you were to be confused by it and you wanted to just like listen to what one hand's doing and one and the other one is doing. You'd be you'd be amazed at how much is actually going on. To 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 have gotten to the point where you listen to it and just let it happen to you and appreciate it, you've already bypassed this thing that is that is actually quite baffling, which is that that anyone can can get a chance to make music where there's that much stuff going on from the same brain and from two hands that evenly. Yeah, I love the balance of this and whether or not a piece like this and whether or not it's. You know, chill background music. Like it, it resembles yeah. something that yeah. can be chill background music, but yet it's so incredibly dense and so disorienting if you actually focus on it. Yeah, uh, a lot. A lot of Paul plays like that to me when it's when it's not when it's solo and it's not a long improvisation and it's not. You know, a couple of them are, are have that that vibe to me where it's just like, yeah, I could I could actively think about how brilliant this is. Or I could passively have this going on in the background, and and that that to me is like 
it's like decorating the room in a way. Like I'd much rather have a room that's decorated, like like John Cocteau decorated his own house with his own, you know, his own uh, painting, you know, of the walls and his own line. That's how I'd want, you know, that's how I'd want the room to be filled. I want to be filled with music that is like this, where I can dip in and out of it, and it's still going to be just as relevant because it's taking that approach to playing the piano intellectually and and with a, with a, with a brain and with with talent in a way that um, that, ha that has great depth to it. And then now it has more. This, this is this is a little bit more some some swinging influence. Um, so it's nice when that when that gets to it. But I mean, overall, it's like this whole track has been so easygoing. Um, talk about everything being every note is being depressed without any uh, staccato attack at all. I mean, this entire time, I, uh, to my knowledge, it's all been that. There's, there's that, there's that success is achieved by being, uh, sort of, uh, by being uniform in, in, in texture. Uh, Cecil is uniform in, in texture most of the time. He's dynamic, but he does do runs in the same direction or in the opposite direction or the other. There's, there's always sort of a, there's a homogeny of what he's conveying that is going on usually with in, in the early years there was there was there was more of it where like on, on some on the early uh, like like live the cafe Montmartre and stuff like like Dietrat that's what where all, where it's like wait a minute this guy is is actually like doing two totally separate things with his left hand and his right hand he didn't do that as much because his, his concept was more unified later on I guess or he I, his, his technique was was, was different, his, his, his way of doing it. But anybody who does that, um, in this way, it's, it's yeah, if, if, if Cecil's homogeneously percussive or short or, or has these, uh, these gestures that, that always are crescendo, decrescendo, um, that are balletic in their nature, then it didn't get until recently that this had any sort of gnarly, sort of um, uh, more detached feel to it. But it's still a very, um, this is still a very elegantly um, and and mostly legato uh, rendering of. I don't know who it is. I, I mean, yeah, you want to guess? I, yeah, no, I don't want to guess. <laughs> I want to guess. I mean, it could be, it could, you know, it's, it could it's, be Rand Blake or it could be, you know, closer to home. Uh, closer to home. Huh? Closer to home. Close at home. To, oh, uh, I mean, it, what is it? Was it Jim Baker? Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, that makes. What do you think? I, what do you think I was going to end on? You know, like <sighs> Chicago's great, yeah. great unknown. That's energy. fantastic. Uh, he has a he has a really like um, he's ex he's exploratory in a way that I could compare to, to several other people, but he has the the kind of. Um, uh, like multi-voice, naturally kind of uh, elastic um, pianism that I just I don't know if I hear it in anybody else, but I but I hear him playing the piano and somehow managing to to do these things that are elliptical, but that aren't um, 
but that aren't angular. They're, 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 these, they're these wonderful ripples that Keith Jarrett does in, in, in these other ways in a lot of his playing, but Jim does it in a, in a way that's, that has his own density and, uh, and has its own sound on the piano that, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's always really refreshing and never points to me, if I'm, li- if I'm listening to it, never points to me to, to, to somebody who's grandstanding or who is not doing anything except exploring uh, every, every single moment. And if if and if if Jim's playing as microcosmic of of uh, the Chicago attitude that I find with with many of the improvisers in this town, it is that um, that speaking with them or hanging out with them is just as pleasant as as listening to their records, uh, or yeah, or playing with them, and the that that easygoing nature or that lack of grandstanding ego. BS that can so plague this this uh, idiom that we're already asking so much of a listening audience yeah. to just be a listening audience. Yeah. yeah. Um, the the cream rising to the top in this town and and people just enough people representing just enough instrument groups, hopefully at the at the right time when the balance when the balance is right that I get to um, yeah that I get to sit behind Jim Baker playing like this, like this yeah. with a couple of other fantastic musicians and those people can change in a lineup. And I don't feel like I did 10 years ago where I'm, I'm like, I gotta go home and just be just envious of what this guy's tapped into and how I'm not and everything's about me and it's just me, me, me. Instead it's like, wow. I, you know, this this person only seems to be known within this city, and um, I, I, maybe one of the first times I saw him was playing with Jason Ripke and, and uh, Avril Rod at the Honky Tonk Barbecue playing standards. Uh-huh. And it didn't feel like a Keith Jarrett trio deconstruction of standards. It felt like something just as as equal to me, though. Yeah. Um, and, and I was, and I was like, good. Yeah. That should be going on somewhere, if not several cities in, in this world of ours. Yeah. Yeah. Even if they're self-contained, it should be going on. Yeah. And I'm glad that it is. And I'm glad that I'm a part of it. And, uh, thank you for letting me be a part of this today. (laughs) And that's been Matt Pyatt for... This is me. Sound Opinion.
Oh yeah. Now it now is now. Now is it is now 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 is